in this episode of the Bear Performance Podcast. Dude, the resistance is critical. Yeah. Like, damn near. Like, the resistance is the highlighted path. Like, that's the one you should just follow that. Uh, you know, Brant and I talked about it. He was having anxiety and was feeling weird about creativity side <clears throat> of what he does. And I, I run through it, too. And, like, the thing that I will always bring up to myself to remind myself is, like, everyone you know who's where you want to be figured this problem out. And if you want to be there, solve problems. That's what your job is. Your job is creative problem solving. That's it. And the more that I can creatively problem solve and give myself tools to do so, the better we'll continue forward. Welcome back to another powerful episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Nick Bear, founder and CEO of Bear Performance Nutrition. Every week, we bring you insightful stories, knowledge, and inspiration to help you reach your full potential in life, fitness, and business. If you enjoy the message we're promoting in this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a rating and review on the platform you're listening to. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes that embody the Go One More mindset. All right, we have... Matt Vincent back in Austin, Texas. And the thing about Matt being in Texas, you have seen every, literally every evolution of our HQ, our footprint. You, I think you were one of the first people to actually train in our gym. Remember that old gym that yeah. was like 6,000 square feet? Yeah, yeah, you guys had the big gym set up uh, kind of at your first location before you had old glory truck. That's right. And it was just you, Joe, and Preston. Small time in it. But small time in it. Small time and it's only relative because where we are now. Yeah. At that time, compared to running things out of your parents' basement in Philadelphia while you're in Korea, you're not small time in it then. You're only small time in it because you know where you are now. I mean, at that point in my life, 2016, our first warehouse, I thought I was on top of the world. Of course. Dude, I, I remember like literally we had a car to drive from our house to our warehouse and- because the business started growing a little bit, we needed our first pallet jack. So we couldn't move pallets with our hands anymore. <laughs> right. So I remember we go to Harbor Freight Supply Store and we buy this big pallet jack. It probably weighs like 200 pounds. <laughs> and then we realize, holy shit, how do we get this in the car and take this back to the warehouse? <laughs> but that, those were our problems then. Those are problems. And I think we, we both have seen each other grow over those past couple of years, like businesses, personal development, life. Trying. Trying to grow. That's it, right? Like, I, I think that's a big part of it, man. I think growth really matters. Um, you know, for me, like, that's that's the big focus. And the more that I can kind of recognize where it comes from, the better. And for me, it's always been from being uncomfortable. You know, that's, it for me, being uncomfortable to some extent, whether that's business stress, whether that's training, whether it's different mindset stuff, like, to me, that's where you start creating adaptation. And so if that works for me in the gym <clears throat> that I have to create stress to adapt to, why wouldn't I do that mentally? Why wouldn't I do that for the systems that I start putting in place, like my morning routine or any of these type of things? And so if I'm not willing to be uncomfortable for growth, I'm not going to have growth. When do you think you started realizing that? Like when did that click? <clears throat> I think it clicked a long time ago. But it's like it continually really clicks 
then you're like, oh, now I get it. And then six months from then you're like, oh, now I get it. It's funny because I used to say, this was years ago, I would say when I started getting comfortable, I would search for these, these moments of like pain and suffering a little bit. And when I said it back then, like three, four years ago, it meant something. But now that means like even more. There's like more perspective and, and, and depth and meaning to it where it's not that I, I search for uncomfortable moments anymore or suffering. It's that I know I need it mm-hmm. in order to keep driving forward. Yeah. I, I mean, I, comp- I compare it to travel. And since we've done so much of that, and that's still one of our focuses, being able to travel and go and do. And so I noticed like eight weeks that I was laid up after a knee surgery. I don't have anything of significance to tell you that happened in those eight weeks. They just gone from the memory. Uh, However, like being on that run for 20 miles in Bryce Canyon or being on a trip like for 10 days in Iceland and doing new things and new experiences and like, I don't exactly know where we're sleeping and we're driving a van around and I pretty much know how to get from location to location. You're on all day. And so like, I have so much to tell you from these 10 days in Iceland because it's new experiences. I'm on, I'm paying attention. I'm not in routine. I'm seeing new things. It's new senses and all that verse eight weeks of routine just disappear. And that's the only way I've currently figured out to slow time down or at least my perception of it. And if I can slow down my perception of time, that's, I believe your perception's reality. If you believe the world's really shitty, chances are your reality sucks you're pretty optimistic you can find a different way to go and so if i can the better i can get at controlling my perception or my perspective on things the better i can control my reality i was actually thinking about this quote that's kind of applicable to that where if we look at life like so many people i'm i'm uh i'm at fault i'm guilty of this is from time to time as well grass is always greener of course right? it is. Like grass is always greener <clears throat> Truth is, it's, it's not. Never is. It never is. But perspective is greener. Perspective is everything. The, the only time in my life uh, that I've ever felt truth to the grass is greener was whenever I was going through kind of the big transition at the end, I, I guess with divorce, moving, deciding this is the life I'm going for. Um, no one agrees with that, that move. Like, why would you do that? Things are going well blah, 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 blah. And, and they were, but they aren't what I wanted to do. And that's the only time that I'm really like, you were all wrong. This is better. My life now is better. I was right. I mean, where we end up in life is, it's just like this sum of choices that we make over time. And I've, I've, I was thinking about this on this morning's run, actually, is people complain about where they're at in life or what they have. And at the end of the day, you can't blame anyone but yourself because you made choices, whether good or bad or right or wrong along the way that have led you right to where you are. And it's really easy to blame a situation we went through, a divorce or anything, uh, or anything. The, the government, whatever it is, but it's, but you chose certain things and now you have to, you have to live with that and going through like the changes you've had in your life the past couple of years, I'm sure when you were in your twenties, you had like this vision of where your life was going to be by the time you were 40 or 50. And you thought like, 
this is this is what it looks like. Maybe it's white picket fence and and brick house and dogs running all over sure. the place and owning a business. But it, it things change, man. Things change. So let's take that road back a step. Like, let's go back to when you were an athlete. When you were an athlete competing in Highland Games, champion of Highland Games, what did life look like for you in the future? Man, this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately and uh, was writing on and, and it spoke to my group about. And it's, it's proof that nothing's impossible. And I got enough rad people and resources around me that constantly prove <laughs> nothing's impossible. I realize most people don't have that. They don't have that resource group to prove that firsthand that they can see it. Um, so like if I go back to that and talk to myself 10 years ago, right? So I'm 28, uh, January of 28, uh, being 28 years old. So it's 2012. I am starting my first season as a professional Highland Games athlete. I've written a book on training for the Highland Games. And I have talked about the idea of the hate. I've had a blog. I think I've got some YouTube videos at that point. Um, <clears throat> have not sold a shirt. Have not started hate brand. That's two years from now, from that point. And to be able to go back and tell that guy of like, hey man, would you like to know what your 2022 looks like? You're, you're a liar. Impossible. You're an absolute liar. So you're telling me you don't work for the company you work for. You have, you know, a million dollar brand. You have four other, or sorry, seven or eight other streams of revenue. You're divorced. You're happily with another person in another state living. You have a private gym and the podcast and all of these things. And then like, oh, your travel this year, you're going to Patagonia, Alaska, Bali. And then I have a giant project uh, I'm super fucking nervous about, which good, uh, with Indian motorcycles. Um, I got to do a trip last year with them and it was awesome. It was a real game changer of an experience. For I remember me. seeing that on social media. Dude, such an interesting game change of an experience being on a bike for that long. Cause it was, it's like being in flow state for 10 hours. Cause you're, you're busy. It's, it's like running uh, or long cycling or any of that. The brain just has so much room to wander, but you can't really not pay attention. I can't look at my phone. I can't disconnect. Does it have anything to do with the assless chaps? <sighs> I wish. I wish. Did you wear assless chaps? Not yet. I think all chaps are technically assless. Yeah, I know, but I just like... There's just no pants under them. I just it's like calling look. assless chaps. Yeah, it's a fucking great look. Um, I probably should get some, just for a vibe. Nothing underneath, <laughs> just no, the chaps. <laughs> Protects your legs, like if you're using a chainsaw, that's why you need them. <laughs> I love that. And so like having, having that, like we pitched a travel show to Indian, and they've greenlit it. So we've got four trips this year with three episodes of trip for Indian's YouTube channel, and I get to host it. That's sweet. And so, like, that's all prior, so back to 2012, and me at 28, like, we haven't done a Drifter Lifter yet. I haven't done any of those things. And to, to explain that to me then, that you're 100% wrong. There's no way that that's my future. Yet here I am. So to predict what the next 10 years look like, no clue. I have no clue at this point. My only intention is I want to hook me up with as many opportunities and options as possible five or 10 years from now. That's my only goal forward. 
is like, I want to be as prepared to help that guy out in five years as possible. He needs to be in better shape. He should probably be smarter. Should probably be better at talking. <laughs> and so like get the reps. For me, like I, I know that a plan is necessary. However, I'm always ready to pivot. You got to be ready, ready to pivot whenever you have to. And I don't know what the future holds. And that's why like go one more means so much to me is that when I'm faced with adversity, with I'm faced with speed bumps, you better be ready to pivot. Don't, don't keep leaning into resistance, knowing that resistance is, is wrong. Maybe it's steering you in a different direction and just go with that. Your gut sometimes. Dude, the resistance is critical. Yeah. Like damn near like the resistance is the highlighted path. Like that's the one you should just follow that. Uh, you know, Brant and I talked about it. He was having anxiety and was feeling weird about creativity side <clears throat> of what he does. And I, I run through it too. And like the thing that I will always bring up to myself to remind myself is like everyone, you know, who's where you want to be figured this problem out. And if you want to be there, solve problems. That's what your job is. Your job is creative problem solving. That's it. And the more that I can creatively problem solve and give myself tools to do so, the better we'll continue forward. Before we dive any deeper into that, I want to talk to you about why we started Bear Performance Nutrition and how our products can help you improve your health and performance. In 2012, while I was studying nutrition in college, I was tired of searching for supplements that would meet my standards of quality and effectiveness. So after months of ordering ingredients in bulk and making products for myself, I decided to scale the operation and work with manufacturing teams to offer these formulas to you. And since then, BPN has evolved and our product line has grown. We offer the most effective supplements that can help you improve your workouts, optimize your recovery, and supply essential superfood nutrients so you can operate at your full potential. Our products are tested for banned substances and certified by Informed Sport, so you have peace of mind that they're not contaminated with harmful ingredients. Head over to bpnsups.com to take your health and performance to the next level. I sometimes think of this, I have this vision of what this looks like to me, this resistance. If you imagine like a, a group of people, and this is kind of what leadership and, and innovation and and thought leaders looks like to me, there's a group of people going through the woods and they're on a path and the path leads them in a direction they don't want to go. That's a path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. Most people, they're going to follow that path. Sure. There's, there's no thought about it. So like, you just stay on the path. That path might take you to like an ambush where you're about to get absolutely murked. And then there's one guy that stands up and says, I'm not going that path. I'm going to go through the woods right there. He pulls down his machete and starts bushwhacking through the woods. And now everyone else is thinking, what the fuck is this guy doing? And he's saying, this is where we need to go. This is where I'm going. That's the thought leader. That's like innovation. And I always think of that. Like you don't always have to follow the path of least resistance. Sometimes you got to take that machete out and just hammer through it. And that's messy and it's muddy and it sucks. But on the other side, there's probably like an oasis where you're getting served a margarita and a cheeseburger from Hop Dottie. Yeah, I... I'm not totally anti-path of least resistance because I'm so naturally inclined to be lazy. I, I just, there's one of my favorite quotes of all time is this Anthony Bourdain quote where he says, my entire life is a series of strategies to outsmart the part of me that wants to lay on the couch and smoke weed all day. I'm just trying to trick that guy. And that's, that's it for me. Um, 
And so finding just those paths, and if it's path of least resistance for me, like I have to institute that in training and like morning routine. So like having a spot that doesn't involve anyone else being involved, that I don't have to talk to another person, I don't have to answer, I don't have to drive too far to get to a gym, I'll talk myself out of shit. So I need to be in it before like my body has a real chance to be like, what are we doing? Why are, why are we in the gym at 5 a.m. again? And it's like, oh, we're already on the treadmill. I guess we're here. <laughs> I'm the same way with my morning runs. Before I know it, I'm already, I'm three miles into a run and there's literally no thought about it anymore. Nope. It's all routine. Autopilot. It's, it's all autopilot. Yep. My whole 11 mile run this morning was all autopilot. And now people ask me like, how do you find the motivation and discipline to do it? I just do. Like there's no negotiation with myself anymore. I, that's one of those same. That's it. Right. It, it's one of two ways for me. It is either this is important or it isn't. That's the only two options it is for the things I want to accomplish. And if they're not important enough that I'm going to go do it because they don't matter to anyone else. So they either matter to you or they don't. And if they don't find something that does and do it, but stop pretending you give a shit about this or give a shit. Either one's acceptable but don't ride that line in the middle of like, well, I'll try this week again to be consistent. Like, no, man, do it or don't. Yeah. There, no one there, cares but you. There's no, uh, just the empathy for it. Like, oh, this is what you can do to be, con you just got to decide. Just, just do it. And once you're consistent, that's my biggest thing. I am, I am a consistent person and I show up. I don't always do everything right. I fail a lot. But I'm going to show up the next day and keep hammering away. Yeah, I think, I think one of the, the pitfalls most people run into um, is, is that standard life thing, right? Like that most, a lot of people don't wake up. And there is this path of, my parents said, we'll do this. And that's what gets us to <clears throat> happiness, stability, whatever it is. And it is, we go through school, we get a job, we find a mate, we make babies, and then we're there. And the problem is a bunch of people wake up at 30 and go, how fuck did I get here? And this is it. And then people are so scared to pivot because of this fallacy of time invested. But I've already put in 10 years to this. I can't start over. Dude, that's the thing you're talking about. I hate hearing that. Dude, the rear view mirror does not dictate where I'm headed. <laughs> no fucking way. That's like when, when people were are miserable in a job. Like say someone's a, a, a doctor yeah. or a lawyer and they hate their job. It's like, why do you, why do you keep doing this? Oh, I have, I've spent this much money and this much time. Yeah. But that, that is, but doesn't dying. affect the future. Yeah. Like you're you, dying. My friend, do you not know that? Like you are TikTok. unhappy. <laughs> TikTok. So I'd love to know, you know, you're, you're in your late twenties. You think you're going to be this professional athlete forever. Uh, <laughs> you're working a full-time job. Yeah. Hate brand goods is like uh, a concept. A concept. At this point. And then when you hit 31, mm. was a pretty pivotal year. Yeah, that was the start. That's the year your dad passed away from pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And you were half of his age. Yeah. So I uh, got, dad had been sick. And I, I got the call that morning, April 5th. I actually happened to be in Austin um, at a friend's engagement party birthday something like that and um got the call 
And it wasn't until later that I really, you know, got to thinking out of it, you know, after the immediate whatever it is uh, of sadness and bummed and confusion, all those things. Uh, I just got to thinking about it. I was like, man, he died 62 and he dies the day before my birthday. And so it was really poignant for me that I turned 31 the next day. I'm like, yeah, we're not celebrating. I get it. I don't care. Also, I don't give a shit about birthdays. It's a one in 365 chance of what day you were born. It's not rare. Yeah, I'm the same way. I could care any fucking my wife. My wife gets so mad because <laughs> I don't make a big deal about my birthday. And I have a hard time making a big deal about other people's birthdays. Yep. And I just, for me, I just, I, I don't get it. I, I don't either. But also that's because I've built a life that I do whatever the fuck I want to every day. I don't need a special day that I'm given permission to have my day. Yeah. And so a- after pops passes and I, I kind of have that feeling of like, you know, none of the men in the last two generations of my family got to 70. And so like, all right, 62, 62 is the fucking number. You're 31. You have 1612 weeks left to accomplish everything you want to in life. That's it. TikTok. What do you do with it? And for me, it was you better go. I'll, I'll fucking happily die tired. <laughs> like that's I'm not looking to turn this machine in with a bunch of reusable miles on it. I'm not trying to live a safe life or risk free. Like I want to go. I want to experience it all. I want to be uncomfortable and be present for as many of the remaining days of my life as that is. And while I think I'm stacking the cards in my favor to be older than 62 when I die, I don't know. I don't know. I have too many stories, man, of friends I hear that just like, a friend of ours who's 31 and fit uh, wakes up and uh, his wife is a little, little off. She's also fit and in her 30s had a stroke. Fucking just had a stroke. I'm like, oh, okay, so that's a thing now? That's a possibility? You just never know. You don't. You don't. And that was, you know, dad went from healthy and dad to dead in 11 months. That's how my mom was, too. My mom went six months. Six months, dude. You never know. You don't. You don't know. And I know that you hear people hear this realization, right? Like when they have that cross with mortality or that... You know, they're told they have six years left to live or a year or whatever it is. And it sparks this passion of life. I have 31 years left. I know it. I'm going to die and I'm going to live my life accordingly. That's the motive. Like anytime someone's like, what do you mean? How do you stay motivated? I'm fucking dying. That's how I get motivated. I have one chance of today to make it rad. I'm not interested in giving the keys over to someone else and just letting it slip by. After your dad passed, was that a, a very quick realization or was this no, over time? It was over time. It, it, it slowly, slowly built and there was just less that I was willing to accept as okay. So what did you start changing? So that's 2014. Hate Brand starts selling shirts in October of 2014. Uh, 20, I win another world championship in 2014. I'm on the gas. Like I feel it and it's working and it's going and I'm motivated and I still feel that, uh, that drive. And it just slowly chipped away at anything that was creating drag, anything that was going to slow down progress to where I want to go has to go. Did you get better at saying no to certain things? I've been pretty good at that for a long time. 
Um, another, another part that came with my dad dying and that realization of time for me is I don't do anything anymore out of obligation. I don't feel it. Not to family, not to people. I'm not obligated to do shit. Now, that doesn't mean I don't show up. There's a difference in mindset. What it means is that if I'm there, this is where I want to be. I'm present. I'm not, I'm not halfway in the fucking tank. In the same way with what I talked about, like, does this matter to you or not? I don't have to do anything. You're not physically going to make me go. I don't have any. There's consequences for things. But that's a choice. It's not right or wrong. It's simply consequences that are favorable or unfavorable, and do I want to deal with them? And no one gets a vote what I do with my time. That's one thing that I had to learn over time is how to say no. Yeah. I was really bad at being the yes man. And in the beginning, I thought it was, it was helping me. I thought it was creating more opportunity for me. Someone wanted to grab a coffee. Yes. Someone wanted me to go on a trip with them. Yes. Someone wanted me to sit through a demo of a new tech stack for the business. Yes. And I thought that was doing only good things for me. And what I realized is I was burning my, my energy. There's a difference between time and energy. You have 24 hours of time a day. You don't have 24 hours of energy. No, you have a, you have a fuel tank. Yeah. And once that's gone, it's gone. And I was burning all of my energy and time on saying yes. And until I learned to say no to things, I was like, holy, holy crap. I've been, I've been holding myself back. Right. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's and a scary thought. And that comes with experience. It does. Right. And like, that's, that's one of those things. Cause on the come up, saying yes to opportunities is how you learn. And like, you don't start realizing that these people that come in that want to like, Hey, we have a marketing plan for your business. It takes a few years of listening to those people to go like, Oh, okay. You're all the shit sifter now is way better. You're all the same. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you guys, none of you have built a business personally. So until then it's an opinion. Like until then you don't have experience doing this. You have a theoretical idea. There's a lot of that out there. A lot of that. There's a lot of magic. People love the idea of magic. And it's one of those things that really bugs me. I think a lot of people are actually not in, in touch with reality, even with themselves. They're not honest, honest with themselves. So many people spend time on the theory of what works and how to get to from point A to point B and what success means and even how to be a leader, how to be a business owner. There's a lot of fake shit out there. And there's a, a real big difference between theory and experience. And if there's anything I've learned over these last 10 years of building a business, it's that I learn best by doing. Same. It's, it's I have to take a beating. It's part of the gig. And so that failure avoidance that so many people get, like, uh, I was able to kind of see that differently thinking about professional skateboarders and BMX guys. I uh, did bike shop shit a while back in my life and was kind of involved in those worlds. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know what they're really good at? The pros. They're really good at falling. That's the skill is they can fall in a way that allows them to try again. Or they get so good at falling that on the run up, they recognize something's off. And they don't just hold the handlebars and ride it into the earth and let it fucking burn in flames anymore. They try again. It's, ah, I'll make another run up. I'll make another run up. And it's from repetitions of falling that you can precede like, eh, eh. I can feel it on the front end. Something's not right. I love that analogy. 
That's because, what they're good at. Dude, when I, when I watch people like that who are, are competitors in these very risky sports and activities, snowboarders, skateboarders, going off these massive ramps, I watch this and I think, I, I, I don't have the balls to even attempt that. Right. I'm afraid of that. In order to get to X level, you need to be willing to crash your face on that bar. Yeah, for a decade. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> for me, that's why I'm not a professional uh, snowboarder because I'm, I'm afraid of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and man, that was, that was a really tough one to, uh, coming through the injury and with my knee and knee replacement and then healing after that um, took a really long time for me to like trust my, my body again. Was your knee injury acute or was it chronic? Chronic. It was? Yeah, that was way more the issue. And uh, that opened my mind to a very different thing that I've never dealt with, was just the long-term chronic pain. How soon into your career, were you already a champion of Highland Games when you had knee injuries, or did that happen after? Um, so I did, all, so I, my history with my knees, I tore an ACL in college, got it fixed at LSU, and then tore it again, like 2005, after I've graduated, when I have the bike shop, I tore it at a skate park. Um, save some fucking kid's life. I come down a roller and there's some kid on like a 16 inch bike. He's probably six. It's just like, boop, 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 scooted out in front of me. So I throw a foot down, hyperextend my knee, pops me, high sides me off the bike. I would have gone through this poor kid. It just, I've been like, I'm very sorry. Your kid is disintegrated. Right. <laughs> Doesn't even know. He's just cruised off. He has no idea. He destroyed me. <laughs> Ruined your life. Uh, Actually maybe made your life better. Who knows? He might've saved your life. I'm not here without it. So I'm not mad at being here. Yeah. That's the deal. Um, and so tore it and then I'm 20 and have a bike shop and not any money. So I don't bother fixing it as a, insurance at that point isn't a real priority in my life. And so I, I do the Highland games for the, I did all of my strongman stuff, all my weightlifting, all my powerlifting, all the Highland game stuff without an ACL. Were you just loading up on Tylenol and painkillers? Never had an issue. Really didn't really wasn't any major pain other than just training beat up. So all acute up to that point. And then the knee surgeries trying to fix the knee brought on the chronic pain. So you could keep competing on the knee. Oh yeah. But you got it fixed just for. Well, so I, I, I finish up 2014. I win a world championship. 2015 is a good year. I finished second. And then 2016 is my last year, not knowing that, but I uh, finish up second that year in the world. And then so it's into the season. I'm like, look, let's just get the knee fixed. I tore a meniscus earlier in that year. Things are starting to degrade <laughs> around the other problems. So I was like, I'll go fix this meniscus. Did that in like May, got back to the competition, finished second that year. And I'm like, let's fix the ACL, take a year off, recalibrate, and come back in for 2018, ready to go. That was it. Had surgery in 2016. It turned into eight more knee surgeries to get rid of pain and chronic pain. And that's the last time I competed. Why couldn't they fix it? What was wrong with it? Um, so we did the ACL. And because I'd fixed it in college, we did a patella tendon um, to do that graph. And so the other option is a hamstring tendon. They, those are your only natural options for fixing it. And when I did the very first surgery in college, they pulled a hamstring tendon. I have this big hole in the back of my hamstring and then they couldn't use it. So they did the patella. 
And so both of the options for ACLs with your stuff were gone on the first one. But normally fine, people don't continually do them. So when we started going in 2016, I went for allograft or cadaver tissue, and my body just eats it. We didn't know. It just doesn't. It just is gone in three months. It just disappears? Yeah, we'd go in and like I'd do three months of rehab and get back to the point of like, cool, square one. And then I would go in for something, and they're like, this feels strange. MRI, it's gone. Like, no sign of it. What the shit? Yeah, it just dissolve. So we did that four times. So you're just constantly under the knife. Yeah, so I did those eight surgeries. If the last one's total knee replacement, which happened in April of 2019, um, the last... The other seven surgeries, the last one I had was like 2017. So I got eight surgeries in about a year and a half. You're starting to get nervous at this point thinking, all right, life isn't necessarily going the way I wanted it to or where I expected to be. What's next? Yeah. It, it immediately shifted at some point to like, I, I had the very clear realization that getting back to competing was no longer the goal getting back to being able to walk upstairs was more important. And uh, it, was, it was really hard, man. I knew, I knew going in to competing in an athlete, like I, I have enough sense of me and my identity that the Highland Games, no matter what level I did, it was always going to be a thing I did and not who I am. Mm-hmm. Now, the real test of that was I didn't expect to not be an athlete. And I wasn't an athlete anymore. Athletes go up and down stairs. It's really hard for me to convince myself that I'm an athlete. And for me, definition of athlete is how quickly can you learn new skills, physical skills. And I've always been able to do them really well and learn them fast and move. I mean, even at 300 pounds, I could still do a standing backflip and weird shit. And all that was gone to where, like, I can't go up and down stairs anymore. My knee's bad enough that I've probably got about 200 meters of walking today before. I'm out of gas and like, I'm done dealing with it. And so you just look at everything. Everything was different. It's like, we're going to walk over there to do a thing. No, <laughs> it's not, it's not worth the cost. I, I traveled with a cane for a year and a half, walked around a fucking cane, man. And like, yeah, the, the letting go of the athletic identity was really hard. That one was really, really fucking hard. Um, Being submerged in a space where you're surrounded by athletes, professional athletes, collegiate athletes, do you see that a lot? Like that transition of life out of competing or athletics to what is quote unquote normal life? It's really hard. I think it's really hard for people to have an exceptional thing and then transition back to normal. And I could see it. I could see the next 50 years of life and I'm like, oh, it's one-year-old's birthday parties and t-ball games and fucking doing that and taking my two weeks vacation every year to probably the same place because it's convenient. I will be in routine for the rest. And I was so fucking scared of it. Were you prepared for that? No. No, I mean, the best honesty I'd had with myself regarding the knee and the chronic pain was I need to figure out a way to fix this. That's the only priority is get rid of the chronic pain. Um, 
Because, man, I, I can't pretend that, like, I'm not going to ride the clock out feeling like that. I would have I punched out. No fucking way. I don't know what year that equals, but there's no fucking way I ride out old age. It's almost like just being in prison. And rotten in jail. It gave me such a different perspective on a lot of stuff of, I've never really dealt with depression or wasn't aware that I was during that time. Um, but the chronic pain thing, it, it's always at, or for me, it was always at like a two to a five. And so it's just constantly having someone tug at your shirt for attention, no matter what you're doing. And even if you stop to give them attention, it doesn't care. It's just like, hey. So you go out, you'd have a good time and like have conversation. It's not like you're fucking miserable all the time. But as soon as you're by yourself again, like, hi, I'm here with you. Just always there. Always there. Did that, that force you or want you to go all in on hate brand goods to replace that feeling of what athletics of competing did for you? Or when did that transition start when you, when you literally said, yeah, let's do this hate brand goods thing. Let's go all in on that. It finally really was when the original, the, the main job fired me. When they were no longer interested in sending me paychecks for my help. Uh, I remember that time yeah, too. Dude, it's really weird. It was a really weird thing. And luckily I had some good friends to call and they're like, you should go for it. And by that point, look, Hate Brand's not exactly a startup. It's 2017. We're, we're doing over a million a year gross sales. And so I have something going. But losing that job is going to cut my income by two thirds. Big fucking transition. I don't care how much money's coming in. If it gets cut by two thirds, it's a big transition. Because you're used to that lifestyle at that point. That's it. You know, luckily I live in Louisiana and things don't cost very much at that point. Um, but yeah, why not? Like, why not lean into it? And, and for me was, I think I have what it takes to do this. I'd like to find out. And if it doesn't work, I've already ruined a business in the past. Bike shop. <laughs> yeah, it's not a big deal. Fuck it. It doesn't matter. What's the worst thing that happened? I'm doing this. Five years later, it doesn't make any difference. Move on. How so, long did you have the bike shop for? 2005 to 2008, I was a partner, and my other partner ran it until 2010. What made you get out of that business? Uh, not making any money. Yeah. And also really being not good at running a business. 22-year-old me is not the guy that should be helping run or manage just about anything at that point in life. Did that scare you then, going back into hate brand goods? Oh, yeah. Dude, I... I and like, even at 28, like talking to that guy, back to that 10 years ago, like I can remember his mindset and I can remember thinking of things I said. I, I remember saying, I'd like to make more money, but I don't want to work any harder. That if I get to ride things out in this level of comfort and stress, great. Yeah, I had settled on, I don't want to say mediocrity, but that's how it feels to me. You know, that's what it felt like. I had settled on good enough. And comfortable and I was just going to let it because it's failure avoidance it's because I don't believe in me and it's easier to be like this is great than it is like I don't know that I got what it takes I mean life kind of is to me I'm a very visual person it's almost like a house and you get the key to the first room and you can spend your entire life in that first room if you want and it's probably pretty comfortable it's probably the kitchen there's a little bed, there's a place to sleep, there's food. You can go outside if you want, but oh, here's this key for the other room. And what if you open up all the other doors of the rooms? You don't know what's behind that door until you open it up. Right. 
there might be some stuff like maybe to get in that next room, you have to do some push-ups. You have to like, go <laughs> yeah, run right? a marathon, but there's all these rooms that by the time I die, I want to open them all up. Same. And the, the same analogy, the way I, the way I talk about it is chapters of a book, you know, and I look at a comparison of the rock versus stone cold, Steve Austin, both incredible, both incredible careers. Both have done very well. Stone Cold and The Rock, I would say, is WWE career pretty similar as far as popularity at that time. They're together, like, crushing it. At the end of the day, the coolest thing Stone Cold's ever done is be Stone Cold, which is incredible, and I'm not trying to take anything off of that. It's a chapter in The Rock's book. Wrestling. Ain't nobody asking Rock about wrestling anymore. I don't want to talk about Highland Games. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a chapter. That chapter's over. Let's fucking move forward. I'm not trying to... I sure as shit that if every decade of my life is a chapter in my book, give or take, I'm not going to spend the final six chapters of my book talking about what I did in chapter three. I want to keep making new rad chapters. And I don't know what they're coming. Good. That's a downfall for a lot of people is I was listening to a podcast with Jesse Itzler uh, a while back and it was with him and his wife, Sarah Blakely, who is the CEO owner of Spanx. Oh shit. And yeah, (laughs) Jesse, he sold multiple businesses, very successful career. He was a rapper at one point and he talks about how he'll never talk about the business he sold. He's talking about what he's doing this year, what he's planning for next year. Way too often do people do something and then that's, that's the, that's identifier. That's it. That's a pinnacle. That's, they identify as that and they always will, man. I don't want that. But look at also what people identify as people identify as their childhood trauma. People identify as I have ADHD. People identify as I have an eating disorder and that's their platform instead of that's who I was. I figured it out. Like that's, that's the goal for me is I want to figure out where all the controls to this machine are. And I'm the one at control. Like if I am trying to give a definition of what I think enlightenment is, is that I am 100% in control of my machine and the emotions. I don't give you access without knowing I've give you access to it. So like you think Fox news gets access to my fucking emotions. Nah, you don't get a vote. It's my world. I don't need your help. If news is important enough, it'll find you. You don't have to seek it out, I promise. <laughs> what are some of the things you actively do to dive deeper into that? Um, so I'm kind of open to anything, whether that's psychedelics or uh, fasting, cold, cold training, even longer endurance stuff or sauna stuff or mindfulness meditation or even just listening to more information about um, things I'm interested in. That's, that's really the big one. It's like, so my morning routine now is hour of cardio, treadmill, bike, whatever it is. And during that hour of cardio, I'm going to watch videos or a podcast of something I'm interested in. Lately, it's been shit on the metaverse it's been NFTs, it's been cold therapy, it's been these type of stuff. So I'm finding something I'm interested in to start my day. 
And then I switch to the sauna. And in the sauna, I typically journal or I'm listening to an audiobook. And then it's cold and start the day. And after that three minutes and after those two things, I'm so fired up and so ready to be on the attack for my day. Instead of just waking up and dealing with shit that's come to me, I've already punched in a win. I've already been consistent. I've already thought about new things, not focused on negative bullshit. That's why I like my morning routine too, is because I know for that, that first three hours, I'm in complete control. Yep. I wake up at 5 a.m. because I know, but if I roll on a bed at seven and I got to the office by eight, things are already getting thrown at me. And it's like, I'm waking up in defense. I want to wake up in offense and have, I need that solitude. Like I am a firm believer of solitude and the power of solitude. And I need that where when I go run, everything disappears. And if there's a problem in my life, it kind of just like, it comes to me. And I start navigating this problem in my head. So there's some, this stimulus. I'm in this offensive stimulus, right? When I wake up, I'm controlling my first three hours of the day. And then when I get to the office, I can deal with the shit I have to deal with. You're so much better prepared. You're so much better prepared to deal with whatever's coming because, again, you're not kidding yourself that shit ain't coming. You know it is. I know it is. You know it is. And that's part of the gig. Also, would you want it a different way? Absolutely not. Fucking no way. No way, dude. I'm, I love it. I love that every day has to count. I love that I have to figure new things out. I love that I have to be active in figuring out what our next content is or, or what designs we're putting out or anything that the I've, I've this year I've started like having like a verbal mantra to, to give myself like in cardio in the morning. And it simply is like, only I can build my dreams. That's it. No one else will care. And not only that for anyone around me, I will never care more about your dreams than you do. That's true. And that's based solely on your actions. Have you read, uh, Tim Grover's winning? No. It's a really good book. Tim Grover was, uh, he was a coach of like Kobe, Jordan, and he talks about winning as it builds confidence where, and I'd love to know what you think your first win is. When you get that first win in life where you're like, shit, like that felt good. I had won. It builds a, this little bit of confidence hmm. and in order to get the next win, that next win to provide that same stimulus, that same feeling, the win has to be bigger. But that second win also requires more sacrifice. Of course. That second win builds more confidence. And 10 wins later, the win is bigger, but the sacrifice is huge. But you've built this kind of callous to what that sacrifice feels like. And at this point, there's all this confidence. And I think that's the hardest part for people to relate to is they see someone like you, for example, who is really living this fulfilled life right now, who's happy with where they're at, but they don't realize how many sacrifices had to be made to build the confidence through the wins to get there. So for most people, you got to just go after that first win. If you had to identify like a first win in your life that really started building confidence, what was it? I, I think the important, like... I'm so lucky that I got to come up as an athlete and have that. And not only that, be in a machine that did athletics well. Uh, I was thinking about that recently and just how fortunate 
that, right, that this is the thing I arrived in and I got to spend my time in is, is this avatar. And it's fucking awesome. I love that I can manipulate it and change it, but whatever else. But I realized like that's where all the confidence came was that I had this skill to do things. And so I got to win. I also lost a lot. Um, I don't know when like the first win was, but I knew with track and field, like when I got to that in middle school and started throwing shot put, um, that I loved the fact that there wasn't anywhere to hide. That I'm successful because I did it. You don't get the glory. Also, you don't get any of the failure. That's the other side of that coin. I'm always capable of dealing with that because gives a shit. The failure thing's a make-up, made-up fucking idea of, of expectation. And I threw a rock in a field. It's not a real failure of how far it went. <laughs> and so I was able to navigate that, you know, the more mature I got. But that, that initial thing of building that confidence and that I just kept doing it. I did it through high school and playing, you know, do track and field and football and, and showing up to workouts and lifting more. And it was always like, I did it. That's more confidence. I did it. It's more confidence. I was scared. I did it. More confidence. And it slowly, slowly builds to... I'm aware that confidence comes with reps and experience and the opposite side of confidence are people that are anxiety driven, that I'm not confident. I'm scared. I'm failure avoidant. There's all this anxiety, man. The way to fix anxiety is education and experience. That that's it. So start doing, start trying stuff, start building these little wins. And for me, even that morning routine, like I've got wins in the bank before my day starts trying to kick the shit out of me because it's gonna, it wants to. <laughs> I know it's coming because I don't want to live a comfortable life. And the harder it goes, the more that it's going to try to kick my ass. And so the, the track and field did that. And then Highland Games. And that's what, like, even with Hate Brand, the always party mantra is, is, it's, we've done all the work to get here, to this competition, to this moment. This is the reward. This moment right now is the reward to perform at the thing you like doing. Nothing else matters. Quit worrying about someone else's view of this because they don't give a shit. They really don't care. And that's fine by me. I don't need them to. And that led into so much of after years of competing, especially in a solo sport like that, is like, I'll, I bank on me. This is who I trust. This is who I trust to get the job done. I need to trust someone who will work and not sleep. That's me. I need to trust someone that will con constantly try to figure this thing out and be creative. That's me. And so I try to instill that in my team too of like, we are decision makers first. We do not sit back. I would rather you guys making decisions at full speed and saying like, ah, we need to make a pivot than sit there with that paralysis through analysis shit. That time wasting garbage of trying to be safe to your emotions and feelings. Like get moving. I always like to say that if I'm going to bet on anyone, I'm going to bet on myself. Fuck. Uh, yeah, man. hundred yeah. percent. I want to bet on me. A lot of people won't though. A lot of people won't bet on themselves. They'll bet on everyone but themselves. They've also built a history maybe that tells them they shouldn't. True. Which sucks. But why'd you do that? And not only that, it may just simply be a perception issue of whether your failures are actually failures. Because that, that to me is one of those, are you focused on intent of effort or are you focused on an expectation that you don't have any facts to support. Because the same output 
can either lead you to feel better about what you did or shitty. That's true. Right? Like for my Bryce Canyon run and doing that, like I'm not a runner, I never run. But that was the point of it is like my intent of this in the next 12 weeks is to become a better runner than I am right now. My intent of this is to be able to go to Bryce Canyon and do that run and it not be a death march. I'm not surviving it. I'm enjoying it. I want to be in good enough shape to enjoy that effort. I want to be in good enough shape that I don't have to go, oh man, it's, we're, we're, we're 10 miles in and my knee's a little stiff. Maybe, maybe this isn't a smart idea. Nah, because I need to know what 10 miles feels like before that. And so it's confidence. It builds it up. And then you go do it, and I loved it. It was a great day. I got to go out there, ate a couple grams of mushrooms, started it. It was a fantastic experience. Damn. <laughs> it's 20 miles. It's a morning run for you. It's not a big deal. Finished in six hours. It was very fast. <laughs> so when did, uh, when did like, Hate Brand Goods, when was the pivot with Hate Brand? And I know as, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, people ask me that question, and it's, it's hard to pinpoint because it's like, we picked a momentum and that momentum just built to where it is now. So there wasn't this pivotal point, but where was the point where, where you said, this is what I'm going to pursue. Was it the force of being fired? Fired. Yep. And it was almost like, well, this is what I got. This is what I got. And, and not only that, like I took job interviews and I didn't want to do it. I just threw out ridiculous numbers to people. I was like, I don't want to do it. But if, you, if you'll pay me this much, I will. <laughs> Did anyone bite? No, of course not. Why would they? They shouldn't. <laughs> I was off, like telling them twice as much as what anyone in that position should be paid. What was your first, your first tagline with, with hate that really took off? Because I remember when I first started following hate, I'm, I literally remember how he connected. Brandon Campbell. Campbell posted a video showcasing a hat or something. And I was in my small house in Temple, Texas, and I ordered a hate brand hat. I was like, oh, this is sweet. I'm going to order this. And I was rocking in a video. And I think someone sent me the video and, and we connected through that. And I ordered the mug and it was the kick yeah, today, yeah, the kick today, kick the, today dick the dick mug. And I was like, dude, that's rad. I love that. And it ended that, up on y'all's sticker. It's fucking great. It did. Yeah. yeah. Didn't that mug end up on Rogan? It did. It did. So that was one of the first things that popped. And that mantra, that one's probably been with us from jump. I don't know if that was before the spread hate always party, um, but same, same era. And, and those have been with us since jump. Um, the kick to Dan Dick. Yeah. Uh, and different power of the internet at that point. So this is 20 Joe Rogan days, November, November 2nd, 2015. Okay. Uh, Caveman Coffee had made a post uh, with two bags of coffee. I'm working with them at that time, and my mug is between the two bags. Joe reposted it, which is about as unvaluable as a post can be from an influencer, right? A repost with no fucking caption. <laughs> Tagged us, though, in it. And at that point, like, I had ordered 300 mugs to get us through the next, I don't know, six months of mugs. And we sold 1,200 mugs in two hours. Dang. And so, uh, like, Mike, at the time, Beach is, you know, working with me and was partnered. And, and he's like, we're going to run out of mugs. What do we do? I'm like, leave it open and email people that we didn't expect this to happen. And we will be sending your mug as fast as possible. That's, so we did. They, that's a, that's they're a not good, coming back. That's a good day as a business, business owner, though. It, it was a great day. 
It was a great day, and it was one of those just huge. But it's not a turning point. It's a spike. Yeah. It's not the same. There's always cool spikes, and you just can't count on them. When they happen, your trajectory, it also isn't this. <laughs> it's fucking so far from linear. It's no different than rehab or getting better at anything. It's always this undulating thing, and you have to survive the down. It's like when, when people see us at BPN in terms of business, like Black Friday, for example, we'll go out, we'll pop a bottle of champagne, celebrate the win. But immediately after that, I'm back in the office and I could care less about the win. How do you celebrate wins? Um, very or briefly. for you? For, no, it's, to be honest, like, they're very brief. It's pull everyone in. Hey guys, good work. This is what it's all about. Big milestone. Let's get back to work. Because the next day, you could have a down day. <laughs> and you're you're always fighting. Like there's never there's never safe moments. There's never safe days. That's what I respect about business owners and entrepreneurs is you are always fighting. Yep. You're always fighting. And your foot is always on the gas. I I'd use this analogy a few weeks ago on the podcast. And it really resonated with me as I said it. It's like being a business owner, an entrepreneur, is you're driving a truck. And as you're driving this truck, the engine in the front falls off and it flies out the back. And you're looking in the rear mirror and the engine's flying out. And what do you do? You, you shove your feet through the, the floor and you're Fred Flintstoning this truck to get to where it needs to be. <laughs> and it's just like, you just do what you got to do. There's, there's never a thought of, well, oh, I guess we're stuck here. It's fuck no. Right. Put your feet through the floor. We're, we're Fred Flintstone in. That's what it feels like. Right. It's, it's always something. And, and that's the part I love about it, right? Because it keeps me out of routine. It keeps me sharp. It keeps me problem solving. And I don't look at that versus working in a cubicle that I'm not paying attention to my life all day. I go do the same thing every evening. I'm in routine. Like your brain fills in a bunch of the gaps because it doesn't need to pay attention. That people will go like, I don't remember driving into work today. Go, you're asleep. You're not awake. You're not present. It's a coma. And, and I don't know that, <laughs> I don't know that our culture wants everyone to be awake. Uh, woke. But, yeah, woke, not awake. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm going to fuck what our culture wants. I'm doing what I want. They don't get a vote. I don't have to fit in. I don't want to fit in. I don't want to be average. I don't want to feel normal. Is that the goal of your mentorship program is to help people feel that? Like actually feel. What I want them to realize is that every day counts. And not only that, like the first, the first thing we talk about that's really important to me is total accountability. That no matter what has got us to today, and I believe like you, we talked earlier, right? You said that today is a sum of the choices we've made up to this point. And I'm also aware with that, I had a lovely head start in life. And that's just being born a white dude in Southern Louisiana to two parents that loved me that gave a shit. From there, I'm doing okay. I haven't, I haven't done anything terribly wonderful. I haven't cured cancer. I didn't fucking bring myself up out of my bootstraps from some poverty or, you know, drug affected parents or any of these type of shit. I had great leaders. Growing up, I had parents that loved me. Um, not everyone's got it. 
However, I'm very sorry for that, but how do we go forward? My give a shit is that from today, that way, you're at the wheel. And what can we do to make sure that you're always the one making choices for you and accepting that no matter what the choices you're making, they're your choices. And so you're only responsible to you. And so it's that total accountability. The way I really, I break it down is if I borrowed your car and I got into a wreck, I'd fix it because I borrowed your car and I assumed responsibility of that vehicle. If I let you borrow mine and you wrecked it, I'd fix it because I assume responsibility because I handed you the keys and I run everything in my life that way. I'm not a fucking victim. I made a choice. It was a conscious effort somewhere up the road of, I decided to work with that company. I decided to do this. I decided to do that back five years ago. Now we can go forward and decide we no longer make this decision again. We don't have to experience this again, but that's the choice. Like, I don't want to do that again. That was a terrible experience. Let's learn from that and not have it again. People will just walk right back into it as though that's normal and convenient and you're supposed to get your ass kicked and someone tells you what to do all day and you don't, you don't have to have that. Like you can own fucking parts of your life. Like make sure that the parts that you, that are yours, you are in complete control of everyone who, who I'm a control freak. I don't try this. Like, you know, you don't handle the shit in your life that you can control and you're trying to fix stuff that, I, that, that involves magic. Get out of here. Get out of here. Makes me think of the past year. We, we've hired a few companies to work with bad choices. <laughs> Dude, but that's, that's it. It's learning. And it's, it's one of those things. It's at the end of the day, the project's not done correctly or it wasn't built right. I can only be mad at myself. That's it. It's like, I hired them. I paid them. Maybe I didn't set the expectations. Maybe I didn't lay out the ground rules appropriately. Maybe there was no task condition standard time timeline for it. Like that comes down to me. And a lot of people, they know what the word accountability sounds like. <laughs> yeah, they don't. But I don't know if they really understand the depth of its meaning. Yeah, accountability is anything something's wrong in like finances of my world, I take the hit. Not my team. I'm the one driving the boat. Like that, that's the accountability. This is my choices. This is what got us here. And I, I just don't understand living a different way. It seems, it relieves a lot of stress for me. Because the stress for me is when I'm inconvenienced by other people's bullshit. Yep. And as much as I can remove that from my life, that, that's the biggest thing I hate. I hate my time wasted and I hate inconvenience. And so I will pay tons of cash to eliminate both. That's why I have my own gym. That's why it's two miles from my house is I have in, is less inconvenient for me to go do that thing I need to go do. And no one's in between. I don't have to talk to another person. I don't have to check hours. I don't care who's there. No one's there. It's mine. I know that. It's ready to go. And no different than having my truck ready to leave if I want to leave on a road trip and go camp. If I want to do that, I need an hour to get in and decide I'm going to go sleep in my truck for two days. That's a low barrier of entry to fuck off. That's awesome. Right? And like that to me, that's freedom. Because I want the freedom to be able to make as many choices for me as I can. I don't want anyone else to have a vote. That's one thing I'm, I'm always willing to spend money or invest money into is things that will make my time more effective or efficient 
give me back time. And the truth is in the beginning of, of starting something, you don't get that choice. No. You have to, you have to earn that. Yep. It's not, it's not, it's not deserved. Everyone thinks they deserve something. It's not deserved. You have to earn. No, you don't deserve anything. No. Your whole life. Let's just be really clear. You get what you deserve. That's it. You only get to, to reap the rewards of the fruit you sow. And I firmly, I firmly believe that. Yeah. And I'm bought into that. And I've yet to see anything else to prove the contrary. That isn't bullshit. Yeah. Like if I look back and when I first started all this stuff, because I know it's hard for sometimes people listen to this and they're thinking, but I'm not there yet. Yeah, but you got to go through this some shit to get to the other side. Just if you're not willing to go through that shit, you'll never have the confidence on the back end. You That's will, how it works. You will never. And I'm at a point now in my life where I now can buy things or invest in things that save me time to keep moving forward. You have to get to like point one to get to point two, point two to get to point three. And each point opens up another level of ability. That's the best part about building a team. Mm -hmm. That's when you can scale, you can grow, you can delegate. And that's been one of the most rewarding parts of being a business owner. Yeah, same. I've, I've been really fortunate. I've, I've made some not great hires and I've made some killer hires, but that's also learning. You know, I learned this past year of, I won't untrust my gut oh, dude. on a person again. I have learned that the hard way the last few years. Yeah. And it's crazy because you're thinking like your intuition, your gut, it's telling you something's not good. Someone's not good. This is not right. Every time I haven't trusted my gut, I have made the wrong choice. And I can, and I, the one that I'll, give myself on that one is I feel, I feel confident in my ability to lead to the point of like, if it's 50, 50, they've never worked for anyone like me and how I give freedom and I want action. And it's not, you're never going to be fucking reprimanded for trying. What I will always freak out about is inactivity. <laughs> what are we doing? Make a decision, go forward. If I have to make all your decisions, I don't need your help. Initiative. That's it. I want ambition. I'll reward it. I want it. I want initiative. Like, Yo, fucking try. Try. That's it. Like, that's the one people don't do. Because even trying and not dying brings success. Like, brings some bit of confidence of like, oh, we didn't die. That's all right then. <sighs> you know, man, I look at one of those things, like I look at, like looking at my YouTube channel or any of these type of things and nothing, none of my world has ever popped in my opinion. And it's fine. And I look at yours and I'm like, fuck, man, what is Nick doing? And so I look at like the physical stuff you're doing to grow the challenge. And I'm like, okay, so we could pick a couple big projects this year, physical challenges and lean into those and train for them and show it and show the consistency and show all that. And I look at that and I look at you and I'm honest with myself. I, that's another part of the full account, total accountability is I don't lie to me at all. And it's like, are you willing to do all that? And I'm like, not only am I not willing, I don't know that I have it. I don't know that I have it if I'm really fucking honest. Well, I think being honest with yourself is one of the hardest things to do. And I can confidently say it's, it's something I believe I'm pretty good at where I can identify, I know what my strengths are and I definitely know what my weaknesses <laughs> are. And I'm never going to try to promote my weaknesses as a strength 
I'm either going to spend the time to educate myself and train for that weakness, or I'm going to hire someone and partner with someone who my weakness is their strength. Yep. Add on to that. But it's really hard to be honest with yourself and say, this is what I'm not good at. This is where I shouldn't dive into. I need help. Yeah. So with your business growing, was there any hire that you made that was like, boom, night and day difference? I'd say there was, there's hires and then there was reorganization. Mm. Hire wise, bringing on a CFO was that, that next level insight. That was almost like before having a CFO on board, I was making decisions that I thought were informative that were too instinctive, mm. not numbers and data driven. And then when I brought on a CFO, he said, Hey, this is the reality of it. Like, let's, let's leverage this. Let's, let's spend more money here. Let's spend less money there. Let's pull back these expenses. And that gave me so much more insight into the business where I could adjust levers then. Mm. I couldn't fully optimize or maximize the levers of the business because I didn't fully understand where those levels were at. Sure. Like for, if it was a gas tank. If I thought the gas tank was empty, but in reality it was three quarters full, well, maybe I wouldn't have hopped in the truck and drove it because I thought it was empty. But in reality, I had enough to go 200 miles. Right. So a CFO and a financial team was one of the best decisions I've ever done, but it took me a long time to get there. Well, and that, that's where I end up. Right. And like, my thoughts are, is like, I do think that's important. I can't afford one. And it is expensive, but I ended up actually, like I saved money. Hiring that person. Hiring that person in terms of tax preparation, uh, Spending. So they handle everything. Everything. It's, it's, it's having a, so we have an accountant, but she's remote. Most of my team has been built remote, which allows me to leave. And like, so I've built a world that I get to, we can operate from anywhere. Right. I mean, my whole team could come stay at your place for two weeks and won't miss a fucking beat of work. Yeah. So I've done it the opposite. I brought everything in house. <laughs> right, right, right. CFO there, like financial team. I, I think that has been the best move I've ever done in, in terms of just confidence and peace of mind as well. Night and day. So is your CFO like a CPA as well? Yep. Handles everything. Our, it comes, we have a, a controller, a bookkeeper, and then the CFO. And it's all any, anything financial that has to be done for the business. I just pivot to him. He <sighs> takes care of all of it. So that's actually allowed me to do more visionary and creative and big brand stuff. And it's got me out of the weeds. How nervous were you to hire that person? Because like I can feel in my gut of like bringing on someone and opening whatever that door is of my business that I'm nervous about, which of course now I'm saying this out loud, I realize like that's the direction things have to fucking go. Well, like, that's I, the thing that scares me. I was nervous because everyone told me, I'll just wait. As soon as you bring on that CFO, they're controlling everything you do. And I thought that I was like, oh crap, like this guy's going to come in, he's going to control where we're investing money, where we're, where we're spending money, inventory, new product, R&D, all this stuff. Nothing like that. He came in, took weeks and months to get like every, all the infrastructure and systems built, but it was, hey, you have a lot more money to, to play with. You're, like, you're, you're being really conservative because you know, 
early on in business, you're trying to save everything. Yeah. You're waiting for that rainy day. Yeah. And or then, invest everything back. Yeah. And our CFO was like, no, based off your cash conversion cycle, you're turning inventory this fast. You're, you're making this much money. Here's your, your baseline overhead and expenses. Here's your marketing budget. He just built out an entire marketing budget for our whole marketing and media team for all of 2022. I can't help but think like, I don't know why I have such a negative connotation of like hiring that position to be like, oh, they're going to realize we have no idea what we're doing. But that's why you're fucking hiring that person. That's because you don't know what you're fucking doing. They're there to help. Yep. I mean, with scalability and when you're growing a company and you start talking to these experts, part of it's like, oh shit, what's that acronym you just asked me? Yeah. I don't, yeah. Indeed. Let me, I'll, I'll get back to you with that. Uh, we'll, we'll follow up with some responses. That's part of it, man. I mean, you can't expect to know all the answers. I would say though, that was- No, some, what's, your, what's your background in business? Uh, I had a degree in nutrition and I was an infantry officer. Perfect. I have a general studies degree from LSU and through rocks. Restructuring the marketing team was, or our entire business was something that was really powerful. We did this past year where Trey, who you met, he first started with BPN as our social media manager. Hmm. And the way I hired Trey is I was running the Austin marathon in 2020 and as I'm crossing the finish line, we hired Trey as a contract photographer for that event. I'm crossing the finish line and I raced that. I ran that race real bad. I burn out first six miles. The, oh, last, no. the last 20 were brutal. So I'm just like limping across the finish line. And Trey comes over. He puts my arm around his. He gives me a water with an electrolyte tab and sits me down. And I said, I don't know what he's going to do for BPN, but I need to hire that guy. I need him on the team. So we hired him to be our social media manager. And then probably six months later, he moved to director of marketing. And now he's our VP of marketing. And he treats BPN like it's his own. Mm. Like truly does. And he's, he's fully invested in what we're doing. So I put him to oversee the whole media and marketing department. And then we built leadership within that program. We have a brand director who is Alex Rodriguez. He's a, he was originally our graphic designer, now our brand director. Uh, Asa is our marketing director. And then Adam is our partnerships manager. And I just started facilitating some management and some infrastructure, which is one of those things where it's, I always look at hires as not expenses, but investments. Yeah. And if you put the right people in place and you empower them and trust them, I have some serious conversations with them where it's, hey, like we're in this together. We need to execute or we won't be here in the future. Yeah, one of those things for me, hiring people, one of uh, the things I've done is like, I'll reduce my salary by theirs. Hey, I know we can then afford them. Yep. Right. And then I believe investing in you is better than me having that money. I believe this makes us more than me having it. And so. I bet you most people would be actually be surprised about the salary of most CEOs. And it's enough. It's, it's enough. It, that's it. That, that's that's enough. all it is. Yeah. It's enough. It, it is enough for me to handle all my shit. And then I have enough freedom now to, to try other things. Like I have enough freedom to build into this mentorship group. I have enough freedom to get our gym set up and kind of chase a new feeling. And like uh, the new feeling lately has been this like, oh, I, I really want a community. And we've never done that with hate. We've never built it. It's been remote. We've moved. We don't 
have a gym. We don't have a place. We've never done that and like hosted events or done anything. And, uh, we threw a Halloween party at the gym and, uh, it was, it was awesome. A bunch of people, like 50 or 60 people came out and dude, even that one, right? Even that one. I've done this for so long at this point and we're throwing that Halloween party and Bonnie was like, we should just open the gym, invite people. And this big fear, one is what if weirdos show up, which haven't had the issue of ever. And then the other half is what if no one comes? And so like, dude, I caught it and I can catch myself that like after the end of it, I half promoted it. I half talked about it. I half did this because failure avoidance. It's easy to be like, well, we didn't really fucking push too much. It was just a little get together. Like, why didn't I go all in? You know what I mean? Like, fuck man, look at you go all in. And so it worked out. And though from that point on, we started opening the gym on Sundays for Sunday service is what it is. And it's 10 to two. It's, it's a vibe. We're not running a workout. I don't care if you lift. Sauna, cold tub are open for you to come try new things, talk about breath work. If you want to do cardio, do cardio. You want to come stretch, stretch. You want to get on the mats and roll and do jitsu, do that. You want to come box, box. Or you want to come just hold conversations with other people who want to get fucking better at life. We're here. That's it. And like having that feeling now of that every Sunday, what a refilling moment of my week that experience has become. Like I fucking need it. I love it. Having those people in this mindset of a bunch of people who aren't complaining, a bunch of people who just want to get better and want to talk about ideas and want to talk about dreams and want to talk about plans of how to get there and how we can help each other problem solve. Like that's what I want to be around. I talk about this a lot recently and I think a lot of people need to take accountability of who they're surrounding themselves with. And there's two types of people in my, in my book. There's the people that you go and meet up with and they're talking about other people <laughs> talking about the news. They're talking about things they can't control a bunch of bullshit. I'm like, man, they're just sucking my energy. And then you go and talk to people who are talking about concepts, ideas, improvement, growth, they're optimistic. People on the gas. Yep, on the gas. And I say, I always leave those, those people and I feel fueled. I feel filled. I want those people in my life. That's it. I only want to deal with people like that. Yep. But, and that's a choice though. You, you, have to, you have to choose. You can't, be, you can't be blaming anyone else at the end of the day if you just spent three hours with people that are, are taken away from your cup. Just leave. Well, and, and again, I think, I think that's a tough one. I, I, I'm, I'm with you and I feel the exact same way, but empathy for people trying to, to figure that out and brought me back to thinking about my dad. Right. And so like thinking about my dad's life versus mine, you know, my dad's whatever, whatever age he's at at any point, having kids doing stuff like he's from Sulphur, Louisiana, died in Sulphur, Louisiana, traveled a little, uh, but like, my dad's six best friends do the same thing he does for a living and are him. They are from Sulphur, Louisiana. Like, if he has an existential crisis or proof of concept or, or needs motivation, he doesn't have a you to call. He doesn't get to come do this for an hour and leave fired up with a bunch of new ideas. He's got those guys who don't have any other outside resources than they all came with. Um, you know, my dad doesn't get to talk to Aubrey Marcus if things get weird. 
he also doesn't have someone like that that I can look at and be like, huh, psychedelics thing is interesting. I need to lean more into it. There's something going on here I'm very curious about, and I need firsthand experience. Like, he doesn't have any of those people. And so creating 1612 or mentorship groups or Sunday service, like, that's what I want, is I want people who are looking for resources to find them. You want other people that believe in you can do anything? Here we are. You want me to help you figure out how? i give you the plan. Like one, one of the, it's funny to me like how quickly I can now creatively problem solve and figure stuff out. Uh, we bought, we bought our first rental property. Uh, we're turning it into an Airbnb. It's next door to our house. And so as I'm figuring that out, I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, so we, we, we bought it for this much. We'll get it fixed up. Looking at the area that we're in, I can get 150 bucks a night for it, 30 nights a month. Fill it up. So on $1,250 mortgage, I've got 4,500 coming in. Sweet. This is a sweet gig. And then as I start looking at it and start looking at other things and I talk to another buddy who's doing Airbnb stuff, he's like, do you have a basement? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, could you build it out? I'm like, kind of, probably. He's like, what about shower and you know, a toilet down there? Like, I could probably get one, no problem, and uh, do the plumbing. And uh, he's like, because you can Airbnb out something that's like a hotel room. It doesn't have to have a kitchen. So now I can Airbnb out my basement as its own hotel room for 100 bucks a night. That's now bringing in another $3,000 a month on twelve fifty. And then so there's another neighbor. So we live in a, in a row house downtown St. Louis. So like, I've got the corner. I bought the other one in the middle. So there's a third property in our building. I want it. I'll get it. Uh, and so I look at that and I'm like, you know, copy and pe- copy repeat. It's going to cost just about the same. We'll build it out. That's another 7,500 coming in a month on probably 12 or $1,300 mortgage. And then I have the whole building and then I have the backyards. I look at that. And I'm like, okay, so there's room for garages and I can build studio apartments on top of each garage. I'm probably a million dollars total into this property. The end of the build may take five or six years, but that thing will generate 40 grand a month. That doesn't involve any magic. It just involves sticking to it and grinding it out and not only grinding it out, figuring out all the problems that are going to come with it. Oh, you know, there there's going to be, we're already there. Yep. We're already there. We already (sighs) permitting and construction plans and, and all the stuff the bureaucracy. Like, that's what we got to learn. If you want to do this, this is part of the game. You're not being punished. Everyone who's figured it out went through this. Do you want in or not? This is a barrier of entry. It's kind of like when you, you have an idea and you tell your friends or family and they go, oh, let me tell you about all the bad you're about to experience. Yeah, I don't like, care. Shut up, dude. I know that's coming. That's right. part of it. Have you, have you watched uh, 14 Peaks yet? I have. And, and what a high-powered mutant that guy is. That's great. What a high-powered mutant that dude is. The very first climb he does of uh, La Hoist, or whatever it is, um, he runs into that other guy who's like, I've attempted La Host like six times and haven't got to the top and blah, 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 blah. And they're talking about the climb up. And I'm sure that guy is a very renowned, excellent climber. No doubt about it. He's doing that for a living. But like during that climb up, he starts talking and talking with uh, the main character uh, of the of the show, and he's like, 
I don't know that the conditions today are going to let us go. Right. And that guy's like, it's no quit, buddy. We're going. Nothing's impossible. Right. And I just kind of giggled because I share that of like this moment of doubt or whatever it is. And like, all I could think was like, you think this maniac gives a shit at what Mr. Failed six times is fucking telling him is an impassable route. Hit the fucking bricks, dude. Load in the back. Just follow. We're going. I mean, that, that guy's whole trip, it was one thing after another. It's like you're coming down a mountain. Oh, now there's this, I just finished coming down the mountain. I have to go rescue someone he up top. He saves two people's lives and like another dude dies in his arms in the, in the chase of this goal. And it's like, oh, we can't, this mountain is closed today. I'm going to get the government to open it up for me. That's will. That is straight willpower. Straight. Showing up. No one wants to help you do that. You have to raise all the money. You have to believe in that dream. You also have to do whatever the 20 years of work and confidence building so everyone wants to see you win. But if you're going to hang out and listen to a bunch of people who ain't done shit tell you you can't do shit, find new friends. Like the fact is... Find new family members. <laughs> or don't share with them anymore. And that's the truth. Greatness is not a path. Greatness is... It's, it's truly fighting a resistance all the time, the entire time. Eventually you're going to get to one point where you, you realize I fought a lot. I got here. What else can I fight? Like what's in front of me? I want to, I want to keep fighting. Yeah. You kind of get addicted to that fight. You want more of it. It's challenge, man. It, you know, like now when I'm anxious about something, what I realize that is, is like, I give a shit. It matters. Like that's where the, that's where the light needs to go. That's something I care about, I'm scared about, or whatever it is. A um, couple things I had. Uh, the Indian thing coming up. Totally anxious, totally scared. I've done all the separate parts of something like that successfully, but I've never done all of it for someone else. And I'm so stoked, dude. Like The first trip we're doing is going to be Charleston, South Carolina, to the Florida Keys. Oh, that'll be epic. Six days. Uh, my, my, my team on that will film it March 10th through 16th. And it's me, Steffi Cohen, uh, Barton Geo from Barbara Brigade. And like, that's, that's the first trip. Um, and it's about what a difference of experience seeing the country on, the, on a bike is because you're present. Like you feel temperature change. You feel the wind. You're in it. It's not being in a car. You don't have to pay attention to shit in a car. Like, bike, totally different. I don't think you're going to fall asleep on a bike. You can't. Or I don't. <laughs> uh, I watched Steffi fall asleep on the back of one. Really? Incredible. <laughs> She's fucking incredible. Um, and then the next trip, we've got uh, like San Francisco to Joshua Tree. And lined up for that one right now are uh, like Jason Ellis, a uh, friend of mine who's a radio host and professional, ex-professional skateboarder. Uh, his, his lady, uh, Katie, Bonnie will be with me. And then uh, my tattoo artist, Nico. And so we'll do that trip. And then the next one's like Pacific Northwest. We'll do Portland to Seattle, but go around the mountains through Coeur d'Alene and like stop and go wake surf and get back on the bikes. And then the last one will be like Buffalo, New York through Maine. What time of the year is that? <sighs> that one's going to be like late August. Okay. At least it's not the winter. No, 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 no. It'll, it'll be lovely trips. You want to go? Uh, well... See what your schedule looks like. I highly doubt my wife will let me. Ah. One, 
She is completely scared of me being on a motorcycle. That's a lack of experience and education. Two, our baby is due in July. Oh, you got a baby coming, man. So she might be against that. That makes sense. I will pitch it. That's fair. That's fair. But I expect a challenge of resistance. Slight resistance there. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes it's worth weighing whether or not that resistance is worth the return. You got to know when to fight your battles and when not. <laughs> For sure. I'll fight a lot of battles. I'll fight fewer with my wife. You know... For Bonnie and I, right, like the way we deal with each other as partners, um, one of the rules we have, like for for our thing, is neither of us have to be here. Like I don't, I don't need her in my life, and she doesn't need me. This is a choice. Like we choose to be together because it's better than not. And she's always support. It's always trust in my in what the thing is I want to run at because if I'm running at it full speed, the chances are pretty good. The other realization I know is I don't have the talent to half-ass something into success. <laughs> can't do it. It won't work. I have a bunch of other brands that do okay because I can't be on the gas because I can't come off the pedal over here. And that's part of how it goes. Um, and so if if she ever says, I think this is a bad idea. I'm very, I'm very into listening because she never shows up. She never tries to hit the brakes. And so if she does, she's got veto power. And same way, how can I support? How can I support what your dreams are? How can I help? And how are we always a one plus one equals three? How did you guys come up to that? Like how did that conversation happen? Were you decided mutually, hey, this is, this is what this relationship is. Was that one thing where, was, hey, sit down and we need to talk about this? Or was it just a, a mutual conversation that happened? Because a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people are in relationships that are very tumultuous. Yes. It's not a good position to be in. Why would you be in a relationship you're not happy in? I'd say 95% of the world is. Yeah, I don't understand. I hit the detonate button. Do you think previous experience has sure. led you to this. And, and again, it's a really, I, I wasn't, I wasn't in a fucking bad marriage. My ex-wife's incredible. We're still friends. I'm stoked. She's happy in her relationship. Uh, she still works with hate. Like a, she's great. We wanted to go separate directions and I'm not interested in forcing you to live my life. I fucking love it. I love the chaos. I love the speed. I love that I spent three weeks in Iceland last year. I flew to Africa to do a four-day rafting trip on the Zambezi, and then I went to Dubai to watch some friends fight. I fucking love it. But I built this. And if you don't like that, this isn't fun. If you don't want to travel that much, and if you don't want to go do these things, this would be miserable to be dragged through. And I refuse to do that to someone. And if she wants to go a different way, man, I'm happy. Let's, let's call it. Um, and then going forward into a new relationship, I have the ability to set the rules as whatever we want. Why wouldn't we set them that way? That make no mistake. I, I love you very much. And we're partners in this, this relationship, but you don't get a vote. You get an opinion, but you don't get a vote. I'll listen to your opinion, but at the end of the day, you don't get a vote. If I'm going to go, I'm going. I mean, that's what communication is in a nutshell. It's, it's setting expectations and understanding. And I had to learn this the hard way. 
of what communication actually means in a relationship. Sure. Everyone tells you growing up, the key to a healthy relationship is communication. They're not wrong. <laughs> I, I thought that was just talking at first. Like, yeah, I can talk. I can talk. I'll sit in a room and talk about whatever. But no, it's actually like honest conversation of what your expectations, intent, and, and vision is. And then mutually agreeing on that, which is really hard to find hard. someone who mutually agrees on what you want and how you want it to happen. Man, and if it wasn't my exposure to seeing some very different ways that people live than the standard approach, uh, that, that really rattled the paradigm for me. You know, at, at that time, making friends with, had, had some friends doing open relationship stuff. I've got friends doing total polygamy. I've got, and, and not only seeing it in practice, but seeing them deal with shit. Like, it's not always happy and lovely. Like, there's fucking drama that's going to come from it. And the open part of all of that wasn't partners or sex or any of that. The open part is how we communicate. The open part is total honesty. The open part is that you know there isn't anything that you'll ever say to me that changes my feeling of love for you. That's what unconditional love is. It's not you fitting into a box to match the love that I have. It's that I have it for you as you are, not what I want to turn you into. And man, I caught myself starting at the beginning of this relationship with things used to be this way and I like that. I would like them to continue being that way. And then I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? You're trying to turn this into the thing you left? That's fucking dumb. This is new. Let it develop. Worry about you. And, and it made a big difference. And I mean, look, we, we, we travel and have time to connect and we schedule time to connect with whatever it is, whether that's, you know, I think at the end of this year, we'll probably go to Mexico for a, for a mushroom retreat. I think we'll do something like that again. And even the two of us getting a chance together to sit down and communicate with whatever type of therapy we want has been great. I'm the type of guy, I think you are too, who I think the world is too judgy in a way we judge other people's opinions, the way they want to live their life. Like it, it is not, it does not affect me the way you live your life and it does not affect you the way I live my life. Nope. If it doesn't affect us, like it doesn't hurt us or it's against our morals or ethics or if that even matters, if, if it's legal, what's it matter? Like let people do what they want to do. And I, I, I truly believe in that. It's something that's something that's taken a long time to get better at. And that to me is like, uh, a perfect example of that would be today you're talking about rebranding and you guys are switching to new labels and, and trying all these things. Let's say I don't particularly like your color scheme and to share that with you as a one human's opinion. How useless is that fucking information for not only for me to share at a point that you have things that are already made to throw some weird piece of doubt. Also, you didn't ever fucking call and ask me what I thought of the colors. So shut the fuck up. They're doing just fine. Mm -hmm. Don't have an opinion. Not only don't have an opinion, I don't want to waste any RAM on it. Like, I don't even want to have a thought in my head that's 1% of my energy for the day thinking about what color you made labels if you didn't ask my opinion. I focus on me. I focus on supporting my friends. If my friends have a question, 
I'm happy to help. But until then, I'm here for support. Well, you can serve your time and energy for things that, that you have to matter. Back to what you said, like it's a, full, it's a gas tank every day. Um, one of those, you know, for, for me, you know, using nootropics, uh, what that's allowed for me to do, and especially the morning routine with working on focus being like one of my main goals is I'm very easily distracted. And so I know that I'm not pretending I'm not. So how do we outsmart it? And whether nootropics or whatever it is or meditation, I don't want to just be able to develop the discipline to ignore the distractions because there's still energy being spent on ignoring them. I don't ever want to see them. I don't want them to register information to me. I have to figure out how to tell them to fuck off. And that buys a ton of time and energy. That's kind of like someone's, someone's phone. I just finished reading Deep Work. Okay. I don't know if you read Deep Work. Oh, yeah. It's a good book. It essentially just opens your eyes to the amount of distractions we experience on a daily basis and how hard it actually is to eliminate these distractions. And even if you put your phone somewhere in another room, you're thinking about that phone. You're thinking about that notification, that message. You're still distracted. You can't, you can't eliminate that no, distraction. And actually diving into deep work, most of us don't get a lot of deep work a day, but if you can get some deep work done, it is very, very powerful. And deep work, are you talking about like shadow work, working on your own bullshit? It's like if I'm, if I'm writing a, like a clear example, when uh, J.K. Rowling was writing some of the Harry Potter books, she could not focus in her, her home because emails were popping up. People were walking in and out. She would be sitting down for maybe 30 minutes. Someone rang the doorbell. You go to get that door, you come back. It takes another 30 minutes to get back into that rhythm. So she booked a hotel room for, I think it was like weeks or months to finish the books. Nothing. Quiet, no distractions. No one knew she was there. She was deep in it. Like sometimes I'm working on something and two hours go by and I was doing research or writing something and it's like, holy crap, I I was so, nothing else in the world mattered yep, other than I was so present in that moment and what I was doing. That's deep. But the reality is most of us live in the shallow space where- Most of us spend all day reacting. Yep. And, and you, you, can't, you can't think deeply and react at the same time. No. You have to be, it's almost like this opening up. You have to open yourself up to just submerge or just take in everything. Right. That's what, for me, that's what running does. Like running for me is my deep work of the day. Maybe it's meditation for you or your morning routine where you are just, nothing else is, in the world matters. It's my time. You need that. You yep. need that solitude. Yep. I, I, I absolutely do. Like I, I, so since I finished building out the gym dope uh, and have the podcast studio, I now use the studio as my office. So I go up there. I'm the only person there. It's not an open gym. We don't have staff. And so I work in the podcast studio. I listen to music I want to listen to and I smoke joints and fucking work. I write or consider concepts or sketch or draw or whatever it is needs to be done. Whatever thing. Um, and I think building an environment that allows you to get that done matters and figure out what it is for you. Um, I watched a video, Van Neistat, uh, Spirited Man, his YouTube channel is great. 
And he's talking about one of the things he keeps in his studio is he has a typewriter. And it's got paper in it. It's ready to go. And he's like, for me, as a lunatic, which most, most high-performing people I realize are, he said, if I have an idea that shoots through my head like a fucking comet, and that's how ideas hit me, I need to be able to grab it and get it out. Otherwise, it's gone until the next thing shows up. And I don't know when they come, but that typewriter being ready to go is the fastest transition for me to getting it from my head to here. He said, I tried my phone, but I have five steps to get to a notes section and I have to avoid distractions. Notification, notification, this, this, this. He's like, so I type. And then I think, I think it's important to know yourself in those regards and figure out your systems and try things. You know, my morning routine is because that's the one that makes me feel best. There's some of it that I believe is helpful. I think movement, I think sunlight, <laughs> I think hydration, and cold exposure. I think all those are really important for all people. I think they would help everyone. The how much or intensity you need to do of those things, that's on you. I don't need to go run 11 miles. You can. You've built up to it. I'm not there. Like sometimes when I'm running, things will pop in my head and I don't want to lose it. So I will repeat it out loud until I finish the run. Yeah. If it's something really powerful and I don't want to forget it because it, it'll, it'll leave my mind as soon as it enters. Oh yeah. And I'll write things down. Like if something pops up, I have to write it down. You saw my new office. I moved into that new office because I found in the previous office, there were too many people there. There was too much foot traffic and there were too many distractions. Sure. So I was talking to Trey. I said, we need to move back into the old space. No one goes in there except for you, me, Jeremy and Ryan. And that office is quiet. You can hear a pin drop because everyone's just intentionally and strategically working on something that is impactful and we're deep in it. But when you're somewhere, and that's why I'm, I'm still on the fence with open concept I was all in on open concept offices in the beginning. And now I'm starting to pull back to find some separation or some privacy in open concept because I think there's too many distractions. You can't, you can't dive deep into work. And I go back and forth with it all the time, but. I, I think it varies per individual. I do think that and too. I, and I think having the option for both to work, um, I mean, introvert or extrovert, right? Like if you're actually an extrovert that gets refilled by energy of other people and people you're dealing with, then the open concept thing is going to be really ideal. Uh, I fall on both. I swing from one to the other. I like solitude. I also really like being around people I want to be around. Collaboration is powerful. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, man. Getting, like, like coming here this week and doing this podcast and doing another and meeting new people and doing some content with on it or any of that, like this isn't a stressful week for me. This is refilling. I go back at the, when this is done and I'm on fire. I have harnessed whatever embers that come from this trip and I'm bringing them back and figuring out how to build my fire with them. And I, I love, I need it. I have to travel. I have to go be around these other people. I have to see their universes work. Travel does that, that same thing for me. I remember my first trip to LA, actually. It's funny. I was probably, probably just got out of the army. It was 2017. It was me, Preston, and Joe at the time. And I traveled to LA to collaborate with some people. And I just saw LA for me is 
not my place. No, it's not my place. No, no, it's a necessary evil. But there are people there that are, that are working really, really hard and they have to to survive. Yeah. And I saw some of these people and I was working with them and collaborating. And I was like, holy crap, these people are just getting after it. I came back sitting down with Preston Joe saying, we need to change. We are not doing enough. We're not working hard enough. We're not thinking deep enough. We're not analyzing data. Like, what are we doing? And I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't have realized that unless I surrounded myself with people who are, who are trying harder and smarter than me. And sometimes you need that for some perspective on being honest with who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, you know, impossible things. Yep. Right? Like your story. You know, you can't go back and tell you 10 years ago that <laughs> this is what's going on, even though you were trying to pursue it, like even though you're trying to build it. I mean, how, how long has BPN been a thing? This is our 10 year, 2022. So you've just built the dream. How different does the machine look now than what your expectations of were 10 years ago? This, what, I, what I've built now, what we've built is a hundred times larger than my expectation. <laughs> of course. You know, like I look back 2012 of what I wanted to build and it was probably a thousand square foot office, one guy packing orders a well-known supplement company, but I didn't, I didn't know what all went into that. I didn't realize how much struggle, pain, sacrifice, fulfillment would actually come out of that. Sure. I'm mind blown by the experience. Yeah. I'm, I'm, what I thought this would feel like actually feels a thousand times better. Right. And, and so for you going forward from here, like you can't pretend that things are impossible, that you can't figure them out. And not only that, you way undershot your dreams. You won't do it again. No. I mean, I don't, I don't believe anything is impossible anymore. No, CEOs are going to space. Yeah. Like I, I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I truly believe that. And I say this with complete honesty. I think I can do anything I want. Yep. Anything. It's what am I willing to sacrifice to get there? Right. Am I willing to pay the cost? I'm not always willing. No, I'm not. That's an honest thing I'm willing to say. Like, like I said, you know what helped my YouTube channel is if twice a year I did these really big gnarly challenges. I, I don't really want to. And if I don't want to, it's, I can't just force my will through it. It'll come off that way. And then, then what the fuck are you? Then you're trapped. And then you built a thing. Like, even if I was like, you know what made my YouTube pop is if I just did a bunch of food challenges. Motherfucker, then I'm stuck doing food challenges. You're the food guy then. I don't want to be a food challenge, dude. Like my content and my world will big or not big or whatever it is. I do whatever the fuck I want. I'm open about stuff. I don't kid. I don't lie. I talk about everything from relationships to sex to psychedelics to performance enhancers. I don't care. I'm honest. That's where people fuck up. People hate being lied to. I won't lie to anyone. I'm not a liar. That's, that's the big one. Well, Matt, man. I think it's safe to say that like where you're at now is I'm in the same place in my life. It's not where you thought you'd be <laughs> 10 years ago, but it feels great. But it's also this knowledge of knowing that in the next 10 years, we don't know what it looks like, but I'm sure it's going to be even fucking better. That's the plan. So dude, I appreciate you. Dude, always man. And again, I, I, I can't think enough. 
for always. Uh, just all of it. We'll drop. Always we'll, been rad. We'll drop the the links to Hate Brand uh, below, it. as well as the um, the mentorship program. Yep, sixteen twelve. And and again, back to that is that taking that ownership and accountability of what you want your life to be, and start making real plans of effort of how to get there. Like, let's break it down. What's just step one? That's the only thing we have to figure out is what your next step is. And then we'll make the next decision. I'll tell you one thing, man. I wake up every morning and I think about that first mug and I say, I'm going to kick today in the dick. Fuck, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. And dude, same way, man. Like you text me this morning, we we still on for the day. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm getting my cardio in. Nick Bear Day is going to have Nick Bear start. (laughs) Hell yeah, man. I love it. All right. I appreciate you. Later, brother. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bear Performance Podcast. Please leave a rating and review on the platform you are listening to if you enjoyed it. It helps us to grow and reach more people with the intent of changing lives through the Go One More mindset. If you are ready to take your health and performance to the next level, head over to bpnsups.com to take the first step. We offer a wide range of effective supplements to help you perform at your highest level, built on quality and proven by results without compromise.